Welcome to Inside the Writer's Head podcast with Jeffrey Hillard. Hillard is the Library Foundation of Cincinnati and Hamilton County's 2015-2016 Writer-in-Residence. The Library Foundation's Writer-in-Residence program promotes writing, literacy, and creativity in our community and furthers the library's mission of connecting people with the world of ideas and information. Here is Jeffrey Hillard. Welcome to this uh, first podcast for Inside the Writer's Head. And my guest today is crime and suspense novelist Trace Conger. Uh, Trace, it's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Uh, Trace is an award-winning author in the crime, thriller, and suspense genres. Prior to writing full-time, he worked as a publicist, copywriter, and freelance writer. He lives in Cincinnati with his wonderfully supportive family. So it's great to have Trace here. Our goal is to feature a writer or writers each month who are working and living in Cincinnati and doing great work, of course. So, Trace, uh, thanks a lot for being a guest today, my inaugural guest. Uh, and uh, I wanted to start out by asking you a little bit about your background. Um, you worked in New York City for a while uh, as a marketing specialist, or you wrote copy. You did a lot of work in New York City. But I know some things happened uh, before that that uh, kind of got your attention in terms of writing. So talk a little bit about your background, uh, the nonfiction, the professional aspect of it, and how it led up into your work as a novelist. And by the way, Trace is the author of two novels, the first one called The Shadow Broker, published in 2014, and the newest novel, Scar Tissue, which was published last year. So uh, before we move into Shadow Broker and Scar Tissue, talk a little bit about your background. Sure. Well, I left uh, or graduated Ohio University back in the 90s with a degree in creative writing. And I had these dreams of when I left, uh, you know, left college that I was just going to sit down and and be a writer and write a book and become wealthy and famous writing novels. And I learned very quickly that that isn't necessarily how things happen. And one thing led to another, and I just kind of fell into, you know, kind of like the circle of life, having financial responsibilities and needing to make car payments and, uh, you know, and rent and things like that. So I ended up in the corporate world, which was something that I had hoped that I would never be in. But to make a long story short, uh, I ended up uh, working in a, uh, a small PR agency in Columbus, Ohio, that led to an opportunity uh, doing public relations with a large PR firm in New York, represented some pretty large companies, uh, a lot of pharmaceutical companies, uh, technology companies, Microsoft was one of my clients. And in that, there was a lot of writing. I mean, there was contributed articles where we would write articles for publications on behalf of our clients. You know, there were things like press releases and advertorials and just a lot of editorial copy that a lot of people don't necessarily think of when they think about traditional public relations. But just kind of one thing led to another. When I came back from uh, New York, I moved back to Cincinnati, and I started working with a business-to-business advertising agency as a copywriter. Uh, it was just kind of the niche that I fell in. And uh, I, I, I learned a lot in those positions, but one of the things I learned was that I enjoyed writing. Uh, I mean, I wrote some pretty dry things. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I wrote. I used to write marketing copy for commercial kitchen equipment, and I think most writers out there, uh, you know, always kind of have these stories of kind of what we did before we, you know, wrote novels. And there was some pretty, uh, some pretty boring stuff out there. But um, 
but yeah, so one thing led to another, and I, I discovered that I really enjoyed writing. I love the process of it. I love the the creativity and the challenge of how do I make commercial equipment interesting to people, you know. And that was something that excited me. And uh, you know, even going back to college, I knew that I always wanted to write. And I just got to the stage in my career where I realized, you know, I don't want to be a uh, you know a business to business copywriter for the rest of my life. I want to write novels. So, uh, you know, I always joke that it kind of took me, you know, 15 years after college to kind of really get back to doing what it is I knew I wanted to do all along. It was just that life kind of got in the way. Um, And then about six years ago, I left the agency and started freelance writing, uh, which I still do today. But that gave me enough time to, uh, you know, still make an income. uh, But it also gave me enough time to, to really devote to fiction as well. And I really haven't looked back. So right now you're still doing the freelance work and writing the novels. How do you kind of balance your time with doing that? You know, I always had tried to keep a 50-50 split, uh, you know, 50% of my time, uh, <clears throat> say 20 hours a week working on client work that actually pays, and then the other 20 or the other <clears throat> 20 hours a week uh, working on fiction. That ebbs and flows. Sometimes, you know, client demands, uh, you know, mean that I have to do a little bit more freelance work than I wanted to, and mm-hmm. I might have to, yeah. you know, shelve the novel for, for a few weeks. Uh, you know, other times, this last few months, it's been pretty light on client work, so I've really been able to to bust my butt on the, the third book in the, in the Finn series. So I've been able to get a lot more done than I usually would, and I'm, and I'm much more ahead of schedule on my production schedule. So, you know, it kind of is a day-to-day thing. You know, I check in every day, and I, I need to see, you know, what projects am I working on from a corporate standpoint? How much of that time do I really need to use today? And then, you know, what's the balance of my day? And if I have any extra hours, yeah. it goes to fiction. Because you've got a family, too. I do, so sure. So all those that. financial yeah. commitments, you know, stuck with me. I have two children and a wife. And, uh, yeah. you know, luckily my wife has a, quote, unquote, real job. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm not supporting everyone. So that, Thank God for those real yeah, jobs. Yeah, exactly. And health insurance and things <laughs> like that. So I'm able to kind of, you know, follow this dream of mine. And, and they've all been very supportive, which is great. And that you've got to have that support on the other end in order to, to yeah. even make a crack at this. Absolutely. And we'll talk a little bit about indie or self-publishing later in the podcast, too. But uh, let's go to the novels, too, and, and kind of seg into uh, the story of Finn Harding, your protagonist for these series. For the series. Um, when you were working with so many different clients over all these years, did things, I was curious, did things start to percolate even then? Back in the day, did you get some ideas for characters, for possible plots or subplots? For example, if you're driving around or if you're working on some copy here or there, did you just kind of offhandedly think, you know what, I could almost take this guy, I could take this situation and turn it into a novel? Not necessarily. <clears throat> I would say that um, for me, I tend to get more creative the more that I write. And what I mean by that is, I might be working on a project, either, you know, fiction or client-related. And just the process and the act of writing something tends to open up some door in my brain where I'm more receptive to other ideas. So while I can't say that, you know, writing for clients specifically gave me any, you know, plot points or story ideas, I will say that just, just the fact that I was writing something you know, kind of like the floodgates would open mm-hmm. and I would get these ideas that I would have to stop writing, jot it down really quickly or record, you know, the idea so I wouldn't lose it and then get back to work. Um, but, yeah, so just, I'd say just just the fact that I was writing, I think, helped with that. Not necessarily the, you know, 
that he gave me any specific story ideas. You're talking about the process of doing the first novel, let's say Scar Tissue. The process of writing it was also discovery. You you knew where you were going in some sense. You had sketched. We talked about this, of course, before. You you've uh, you had an you had a kind of quasi outline in mind. Uh, you had an idea, an arc of where you'd like it to go, but you discovered more in terms of characterization. You discovered more in terms of details as you wrote. Absolutely, yeah. And you know, writers really fall into two two camps. You've got the you know the people that outline and swear by it, and you have the people who you know, would never think about outlining because they think it kind of dilutes the creative process and they right. just, you know, fly by the seat of their pants. And The pantsers. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I kind of fall, I would say, in the middle. And I think the re- I have to have some kind of milestones uh, to write against. I need to have an idea where it's going. And I think a lot of that actually, you know, is because of all the corporate writing that I've done. Because when you write for clients, they want to see an outline because they need to approve it before they're going to, you know, let you... <laughs> spend all these hours writing something, right? They, you know, it's almost like a treatment. They, they need to know where the story's going. You're on their clock. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you're financially obligated to them, so, yeah. you know, they're going to want to see the, see the various steps of the process. And that kind of filtered over into, into fiction. But the way I have always written novels, I don't necessarily adhere to the same process with my shorter fiction, um, is to take a, you know, a four-by-six note card. And I just write down, you know, major plot points. For example, you know, character A meets character B or character A kills character B, whatever it might be. And I might have 30 of these. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's never any more detail than will fit on one side of a card. And it literally might be one or two sentences. Yeah. That's it. But I have a map. You know, I have kind of this road map of, of the beginning, the middle, and the end. And then when I sit down to write it, you know, I take these note cards. Okay, character A meets character B. And then I write the scene. So I'm really not like I don't have any rigid, a rigid outline that I am really going back. So you're to. It's cool. Just kind of, yeah, in the middle of this whole thing, you're cool with um, the fact that it could change. And it always the reality does. is that okay, I've got these cards, and I have this rough sketch. I have quote unquote mapped a few things out, but if something takes a right turn, I'm going to run with that. Yeah, it's exactly right. And I would say about. 30% of that original, and I even hesitate to call it an outline, but 30% of that outline always changes, sometimes yeah. more than that. I mean, there are characters I think I'm going to kill off on those note cards that when I actually get into the story, it doesn't happen that way. You could never do that in corporate, is what you're saying, too, because you had to go by the script, do by the script, and get yeah. it double-checked and, and yep. work work totally off that left side of the brain 100%. There was no real discovery in that necessarily very little Uh, yeah let's talk a little bit about finn harding um finn harding is a protagonist in the in this series in these two novels that i think personally is one of the most original uh crime and suspense characters going today uh and uh you know i i want trace to talk a little bit about finn harding finn harding is a guy who was in law enforcement, who lost his work in law enforcement, and is taking a different route now to private investigation, kind of under the radar, if you will, on the side, if you will. Uh, He's doing it his way, but it's a very original way. Uh, And so, Trace, talk a little bit about, I'll let you uh, 
roll this out, roll Finn out, and talk a little bit about how you came up with him and what he does. Sure. So Finn Harding, and he goes by, you know, his anonymous name is Mr. Finn when he meets with meets with clients. <laughs> but um, so he, you're right. He was a private investigator and he was doing all of the normal things that most private investigators do. What a lot of readers might not know is that private investigators have to be licensed by the state. You know, they have they, they very often appear in court. They have to file uh, official forms and a lot of the stuff that's not sexy, right? This is the stuff that never makes mm-hmm. it into crime fiction because no one cares about it. But that's like 90% of what PIs do. And if you lose your license, just like a doctor or an attorney would, you can't, you can't practice anymore. You, you basically lost your career. And that's what happened to Finn. Um, Finn was in a situation where, uh, you know, he decided to take on uh, a client that he should not have taken on. And uh, he was caught. And he did something that he shouldn't have done. It was caught and he lost his license. So here he is. Uh, you know, what I really wanted to do with Finn was uh, in the beginning of the shadow broker, we, I've stripped everything away from him. He's lost his career because he's lost his license. He's lost his wife who has left him for uh, an anesthesiologist at her the hospital where she works. She's a nurse. Uh, he's lost for the Carol. most part. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. For the most part, he's lost his daughter because his daughter now resides with his yeah. wife in this anesthesiologist home. And so he doesn't really have a lot going for him. So he really starts, uh, you know, working for some some pretty bad people because as a PI who is unlicensed, uh, I use the term underground private investigator. He's got to make a living. He's got to make a living, and he follows the money. And you know, the people that have the money are usually pretty pretty bad people. Suspect to say. Yeah. The so least. he gets yeah. wrapped up in some pretty uh, some pretty bad stuff. Uh, and in the shadow broker, he starts working with an illegal information broker. And um, very quickly is pulled into this rabbit hole. It gets way in over his head and then kind of has to fight to get, uh, you know, himself, not only himself, but his family out as well. But just a quick story. Um, I met several years ago. I had written a short story uh, about um, two uh, hitmen, essentially, who were hired to kill each other. They worked for the same criminal organization. And uh, I could never get the story right. I think I wrote it like three times and was just never happy with it. I put it on the shelf and forgot about it. And then about a year after doing that, I met a, uh, a retired private investigator from Florida who had essentially been in Finn's shoes. Uh, she had been married, had just had, uh, I believe, a, a child and was in the process of buying a house and was just in kind of financial dire straits. And someone came into her office uh, one day and asked her to do, you know, some illegal work. And when we're not talking, you know, going out and murdering somebody here. We're talking about getting some records that are, you know, illegal to obtain. And I keep in mind, these are way pre-internet days where all this information is at everyone's fingertips. And, you know, she really uh, struggled over it because she needed the money, but she knew uh, she was potentially risking her license if she were to be caught. But um, she ended up doing it. You know, she really agonized over it, but she did it. And she did it for about three weeks, worked for this gentleman, made a lot of money, made enough money to get her practice and her family back on her feet. And then never looked back, went back to the kind of the straight and narrow of her um, of her PI practice in Florida. And um, after meeting her and hearing that story, I was like, well, what if she got caught? And what if she had lost all of that? And, you know, what would she do? And that was kind of the beginnings and the genesis of Finn. Mm-hmm. And I meshed that original short story mm-hmm. with this new character and, wow. and kind of went from there. And that's kind of what became, you know, the shadow broker. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, what's fascinating to me is that you've got Finn working sort of on this dark side of the law, so to speak. Uh, but at the same time, he, he dearly loves his daughter. Uh, 
he still has some affection for his ex-wife. He certainly cares that she's treated well uh, because she's the mother of his child. And he sees her, you know, to exchange the daughter and get the daughter for custody and so forth. The, the thing that fascinates me about Finn is that although he does go down this rabbit hole in both books so far, he, yeah, he financially needs to keep his head above water. But at the same time, I think the, the dynamic with him is that there's, there's this inner struggle he has. I think that's what makes his character multidimensional. So he's, he's going after these guys. He's going after these jobs that are highly questionable, to illegal, um, and he's getting caught up with wrong guys. But there's also a pull in him. It's very, it's very subtle. But there's a pull in him that I think he's thinking, uh, man, should I go another step? Do I really have to do this? I got a daughter. I want to live to see her grow. You know, I, 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 want, I want to see what she becomes. Is that true? Am I on the right grounds with that in that <clears throat> sense? Yeah. You know, one of the two things that I wanted to do with Finn is, um, you know, I did not want to make him this superhero character, say, for example, like a Jack Reacher, where if, yeah. you know, if Jack Reacher sure. is in a bar and he's surrounded by six guys, you know he's going to win, right? You know he's going to walk out maybe with a scratch, but, you know, very little else, you know, because he, he's, he's like the James Bond character, yeah. right? He always wins. And what I wanted to do with Finn was I wanted to make him more kind of more realistic, right? More like you and me. Uh, he uses his brain a lot because he has to figure things out. But going back to your previous point, Finn has Finn rationalizes everything, which which I think all of us do, right? I mean, if we're faced with a situation, we really think about, you know, is this wrong? And if it's wrong, why is it mm-hmm. wrong? And that's kind of what Finn does. And, and Finn is able to rationalize all of the things he's done in these books as being okay. And, you know, as an example from The Shadow Broker, you know, he knows when he's dealing with some of these people that these are bad guys. You know, he's not going out and hurting, you know, the single mom down the road who's trying to put her life back together, right? Mm-hmm. He's He knows that the people who are in this game, they're all bad people. So he kind of, and I, I use this um, terminology mm. uh, in The Shadow Broker, he kind of sees it as, He's just thinning out the herd. I mean, these are all, <laughs> ba- all bad people. So he doesn't really worry about it. But you're right, though. He's very conflicted, especially he's in conflicted. the second book. Because in the second yeah. book, I think there's a little more emotional tug on him when he gets when he's asked to, uh, to help out his, um, his ex-wife's current boyfriend, who yes. he loathes. But he understands that this man is a big part of his ex-wife's life. And he's within and, proximity of a daughter, too. Right, exactly, uh, because they live together. She's so, everything to him. Yeah, so he again, he has to rationalize it. And, and yeah. my goal with him is that he would never do anything irrational because I think that's a sign of a bad character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that comes through in the books. And I think that's one, of the, that's one of the reasons why I really like to write him. And I think it's one of the reasons why a lot of people like to read him. Yeah, let's let's think about Scar Tissue, which is the second Finn novel just out in 2015. Um, two things happen in this novel that are a little different than Shadow Broker in terms of characterization. One is that Finn's father, Albert, takes <clears throat> on another kind of dynamic in Scar Tissue. And in, in uh, Scar Tissue, Finn's brother, Connor, all of a sudden comes into the picture. What were you thinking when you introduced uh, Connor and when you wanted to, when you were thinking about taking Albert to another tier? 
Well, a few different things. Albert is, I think, hands down one of my favorite characters he's to a great write. Character. He is. He's uh, absolutely just hilarious. for the listeners out there. He is a kind of. He is um, Finn's father. He has been uh, in at the end of sh- or in the middle of Shadow Broker. He is kicked out of a nursing home for essentially physically assaulting an orderly. And um, but we learn in the first book that you know Albert. He's kind of this curmudgeon. He's a funny character. Uh, there's a, I think a lot of witty banter between he and Finn. But in the Shadow Broker, you learn he he knows a little. There's some there's this other layer to Albert that we don't really know about. He knows some things that he shouldn't know, you know. And so who really is he? So I really wanted to explore that a little deeper in, in Scar Tissue. And I think a lot of what I heard in, in talking to a lot of readers after I published um, Shadow Brokers, they really wanted to know, okay, what does Albert know? I mean, it, it came through. They really know that, you know, Albert is deeper than you're letting on. What is his backstory? So I really wanted to kind of wrap that up in the second book to bring him in and make him a bigger part. Um but the whole idea with Connor, who is Finn's brother, who lives in Boston, if you read the books, one of the, there are several themes throughout, but one of the themes that really comes through is this idea of family and what will we do mm-hmm. you know, to protect our family and to keep our family. You know, Finn is actively trying to reconcile his, you know, his family being mm-hmm. with his ex-wife and his daughter. Um, but Connor comes in, and you know, in the second book, Finn is really over his head. He's in over his head. And I don't think he could do what he needs to do in that book by himself. Uh, and Albert is kind of off, you know, <laughs> tying up his own loose ends. So part of Connor... He's back up in Maine he dealing is. with his... P- part of Connor, stuff. the reason for him is, one, he's a plot solution because I need him to help advance the plot. But also it really kind of forwards that theme of family and working together to overcome problems and, and what what would we do to help one another. Because Connor's been out of Finn's life for some years, I Correct. think since the mother's death, and all of a sudden he pops back in and that jars Finn. Finn's like, what are you doing here? And Finn is very suspicious because you're right, he's been gone for a very long time uh, and it's revealed in the book why he's been gone. He's been in the military and he's been overseas for a while, but he's been, um, he has not been communicating you know, with Finn and and Finn just kind of wrote him off, you know. And all of a sudden, you know, when he really needs help, here is here is Connor showing up at his door. So he's, uh, you know, he's very suspicious as to why Connor is there. I think throughout the entire book, he's not, you know, Connor gives him a reason, kind of feeds him a line about why he's in town. But, but Finn is still, you know, he's, he's very suspicious of his brother and why he's there. Yeah. In, in, in terms of Albert, um, let's talk a little bit about craft and particularly um, dialogue as it pertains to craft and fiction. And one thing uh, I think that is remarkable, remarkable about Trace's writing is uh, his, his ear for dialogue and his ability to craft it. Uh, let's read a little bit. Um, I'll have you read a little passage from chapter 18, and this has Albert in here with Finn. Um, and why don't you go ahead and, and let, let everyone hear this dialogue. Okay. So, yeah, just as a quick setup. Um, yeah. This is towards the, the somewhat at the beginning of the book. Uh, Finn has gone off, and he's essentially, uh, you know, discovered what his assignment or what his big case is for this book. Uh, and he goes to Indianapolis to meet with someone, and he comes back. <clears throat> and in the second book, he is living with Albert, his father, and yeah. Albert's kind of questioning him on on where he's been because Albert is a very nosy person. So this is chapter eighteen. I walked through my front door to find Albert on the couch reading the newspaper. Where you been, he said. Indianapolis. Now why in the hell would you be in Indianapolis? Business, I said. What kind of business? 
He didn't mention anything to me. What's in Indianapolis? Seems Darrell got himself into some trouble. Brooks, Darrell? Good for him, he said, turning a page. Maybe now Brooke will cut him loose and we can get you two back together. It's not that simple. He got wrapped up with the wrong people. They paid Brooke a visit looking for him. And who said anything about wanting to get back together? Albert tossed the newspaper to the side and stood up. What the hell are you talking about? Paid her a visit. She's okay. They just scared the shit out of her. Becca, too. What's Daryl into? Got roped into securing narcotics for some heavy hitters. It went south. So what, he said. Why do you give a shit what happens to that asshole? That just improved your situation. Not at Brooke and Becca's expense. Albert's jaws clenched. What happened to Becca? Nothing I can't handle, I said. Spill it, Finn. He tapped his index finger on my sternum like some high school bully. This is family you're talking about. (laughs) Daryl was supplying fentanyl. He was stealing it from the hospital where he works, but he got cold feet. Now his handlers in Indianapolis want to reopen the pipeline, and they're using Brooke and Becca as leverage. And what are you going to do about it? They're looking for someone, someone who disappeared with their bankroll. And you're going to help them find him? Yeah, I said. I find him, and they release Daryl from his contract. I still don't understand why you just don't throw Daryl to the wolves. He got himself into this mess. Why should you bail him out? I looked down and shook my head. Like him or not, I don't, Albert interrupted. Regardless, he's still a huge part of Brooke's life. Becca's too. So that means I'm getting him out of trouble. I don't like it, Finn. I've got a bad feeling about it. That makes two of us. That's sweet. Very tight. It really moves. Uh, And you can really tell that you've worked on that craft a lot. A lot of revising. A lot of consideration going into that pacing, too. In the few minutes we got left for the podcast today, um, I wanted you to talk a little bit about uh, this this uh, dynamic of indie publishing and self-publishing because these are two um, beautiful novels, tremendously original novels, but they're not traditionally published. They're, they're, you've published them yourself. Could you talk just to uh, give us a thumbnail about that process that you went through to get it self-published? Uh, to do a self-publishing, and, and why you didn't go the traditional market uh, way. Sure. I think there are a lot of <clears throat> authors out there who kind of fall on one side of the fence. They either are, you know, independent author or nothing, or traditional author or nothing, you know. And with the changes in the publishing landscape, you know, over the last several years, I have always approached it as it doesn't have to be either or you, you can have both mm-hmm. and a lot of you know a lot of big name authors are kind of toying with self-publishing or independent you know, independent publishing and they're they're self-publishing certain books they're traditionally publishing other books and that was has always been my goal it, it just started the, the, this first series uh, which I currently expect to be three books for the first part of the series um, that I wanted to do myself and part of that really was just to learn learn the process um, you know, I learned by kind of doing myself, and I think you can go out there and you can read all of these, you know, resources on indie publishing and, and the podcast and all that. But until you really sit down and do it, you know, that's where you, you really learn learn the process. And for me, I always kind of looked at it as a, as a proving ground to learn how to be a better writer and to learn the process, so that when I do get to the point uh, with the next book that I'm writing after uh, after the Finn series. Or I can take it to an agent, and I can investigate that traditional, a traditional route as well. So it definitely was not a, um, you know, a decision that I made lightly. It was not as though I had pitched this to agents and publishers and could not find a publisher, so I did it myself. 
I'd never even considered going down that road for this particular series because I really wanted to get it out there. I wanted to connect with, uh, you know, with readers. I wanted to see, kind of test the waters, so to speak. Um, but in doing that, I mean, you, had, you have to learn a lot because mm-hmm. when you do it yourself as an indie author, there's a lot more than just writing. I mean, you have, mm-hmm. you're you responsible for things that you normally wouldn't be responsible for, such as the back you know, jacket copy mm-hmm. or just the, you know, the online description of the book. Most of that would be handled mm-hmm. through, through the publisher. Mm-hmm. The cover, the formatting. You know, things that a lot of people don't really think about when they think of a book. They just think about the writing, mm-hmm. which obviously is important as well. So, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, wasn't something I, I, I did. I took lightly, um, but I knew that I wanted to, to uh, independently publish these first three books. And I have a novella uh, that I've wrapped up uh, that I'm in the process of editing and then a standalone that I'll be writing next. Uh, after the third Finn novel that I, you know, that I plan to take the, the traditional route as well. You want to share a little bit about the uh, next Finn novel you're working on? It hopefully will be out this year uh, in the fall 2016. It will, yeah. I, I, uh, I got to jump on this one. I normally start uh, the novels in January and, um, and publish, uh, you know, get them, get them out to market uh, around October. So it's about a 10-month process. This one I got to jump on early, and I'm about uh, a third of the way through, and here it is, you know, uh, you know, the beginning of January. So I, you know, I'm on pace to maybe get them out in the summer uh, of 2016. But um, without giving too much of the story away, the um, the first two books really focus on Finn uh, and his family. And, and at the end of the second book, um, you know, Finn is kind of in this position where uh, his ex-wife is interested in, in, in kind of getting back together and, and bringing their family back together. And, and in each of these books, Finn really has to make a decision and what Finn has to deal with in the third book, uh, in which he is hired to find two individuals who are in the witness protection program, um, uh, you know, the, the decision, the other decision he has to make outside of that case is, you know, do I really want this? And everything he thinks he wants is now on the table. You know, he also uh, has the opportunity to get back his PI license. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, he has he has an opportunity to mm-hmm. kind of erase the last several years wow. and get back to where he was before the, all of this started. Um, and he has to make that decision. Okay. Um, so wow. it's been a fun book to write. It's been just mm-hmm. focused on Finn. The first two have some side stories, uh, you know, especially with Albert and Connor involved. Uh, but the third book is all, uh, you know, first person point of view. It's all all Finn, and it's been it's been a lot of fun to write. I, I think yeah. it'll be the strongest of the three. Well, Trace, thanks for coming in today and talking about the work. Um, before we leave, I do want you to toot your own horn because uh, you should know that Trace uh, recently received a wonderful award. Uh, man, it, it, it's it's a decent award at the Bowser Con convention. Go ahead and. Enlighten us there. Yeah, I, so the Shadow Broker won a, a Seamus Award, uh, which is a, an annual award given out by the uh, Private Eye Writers of America, uh, and I received it at BoucherCon uh, in October um, for the first book as the best uh, independent PI novel of the year, so I was very excited about that. In other um, words, the best self-published novel of the year, crime novel of the year, indie yeah. slash self-published, which is a huge coup. Yeah, I was really excited about that and, and definitely, I guess, gave me a little more confidence in writing, you know, the next book and kind of validated yeah. that I'm kind of on the right track in, in the stories that I'm that I'm writing and the characters that I'm developing. So I was really excited about that. Well, thanks again for coming in and sharing today. Um, 
you'll be able to read more about Trace uh, as the year goes. I'll have um, a blog about him and an interview with him, and he'll be uh, with me at a couple of functions this summer. You can reach him at traceconger.com. Uh, he's also on Facebook at Trace Conger Author. Talk to you again soon. Happy writing. You've been listening to Inside the Writer's Head podcast with Jeffrey Hillard, the Library Foundation of Cincinnati and Hamilton County's 2015-2016 Writer-in-Residence. This podcast was recorded in the library's makerspace. Use the makerspace yourself at the main library or at the Reading and St. Bernard branch libraries. The podcast was mixed by Adam Baker. Special thanks to Kimber L. Fender, Sandy Bullock, Missy Dieters, Kate Lawrence, and Chris Rice and to the Library Foundation for funding the Writer-in-Residence program. Also, thanks to the band Amphibians for providing the song Sharkbait for this podcast. Learn more about the Writer-in-Residence and related events on our website, cincinnatilibrary.org. There, you can also read our Inside the Writer's Head blog and comment about this podcast. Be sure to join us again next month for another Inside the Writer's Head podcast. <laughs> <laughs>